0: Welcome back to another episode of the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. Uh, My name is Michael and I'm your host. And it's springtime and I'm excited about so much right now. Um, You know, my my wife and I, uh, we've got a new house up near Flagstaff and there's so many outside projects going on that I just, it's hard to sit at my desk. We are building tree houses for the kids. Uh, We've got a wildlife pollinator garden starting up. Um, I've got a turkey tag uh, next weekend, and I'm so excited about that. It's already been too long since I've been, been out in the woods chasing chasing critters. Um, but one of the things that I get most excited about every spring is chasing trout in our cold water fisheries with a fly rod. It's something that I never tire of, um, and I just, I just love it. Uh, if you have not ever gotten after trout, doesn't matter whether it's with a flyer out or with spinning equipment, or you're chunking bait out there with a bait caster even. Um, it, it is a, a, a fantastic endeavor. These are beautiful fish. They live in beautiful places. and We've got a lot more opportunity than people probably know about here in Arizona. Um, you know, if you talk to folks from out of the state, hell, they don't even know we have mountains. Um, much less trout in, in cold water fisheries. Uh, even people here in the state might struggle with that. but. It's a fantastic thing, and today we are being joined by Zach Beard and Sam Simmons of Arizona Game and Fish Department, uh, and they are going to walk us through all of the opportunity, the methods, the species, everything surrounding this fantastic fishery. So by all means, stick around, listen to that. I promise you're going to enjoy it. Um, I had a hell of a time talking to these guys are friends of mine, and it was just, it was a good conversation. Um, so whether you're you're new to trout fishing or you've been at it for a while, give this a listen. I promise you're going to find something in there that's useful to you and and you'll enjoy it. But before we get on to that, let's let's go over a couple announcements from our great conservation organizations here in Arizona, Uh, right off the bat from Arizona Flycasters. um, And let me tell you this. Arizona Flycasters is a new organization, but they are doing things. Um, They are moving along quickly. So if you're interested in getting involved in fly fishing, that is a great place to start. Get hooked up with these guys. Uh, in fact, you can do that, let's see, this coming up Wednesday at 10 a.m., Roadrunner Park. Um, that's Phoenix, I believe, off Cactus and 51. Very important, the north side of the park for their grand finale casting meetup. So go drink some coffee, eat some donuts, hang out with some cool guys, cast some flyer rods. And uh, have a good time. Uh, again, great organization. So, so get out there and hang out with those guys. Next up, from Trout Unlimited, or I should say the Arizona Council of Trout Unlimited. They are helping to restore uh, a fishing pond on the RC Scout Ranch near Payson, Arizona. Uh, this pond provides youth recreational fishing and conservation opportunities. So good thing to do. And this is going to be on Friday, and Saturday, May 6th and 7th, starting at 8 a.m. and going to 5 p.m. Um, and they're going to get you home for Mother's Day, so don't sweat that. Uh, location again, RC Scout Ranch. That's 19887 East AZ Highway 260 in Payson, Arizona. In fact, it's 20 miles east of Payson. Um, volunteers are needed to complete numerous projects in and around the pond. The various RC pond improvement projects include. Erosion control, uh, creating a gravel walkway, installing a new pond outlet chute, uh, improving pond overflow drainage. Let's see, they need about 12 to 24 volunteers. So there's plenty of room, no expertise or skills required, just a willingness to help. And they're going to buy lunch too. So get out there and, and do some good work with Drought Unlimited. Provide youth opportunities. That is important. Okay, and finally, uh, be Outdoors Arizona. Be Outdoors Arizona is an organization that focuses on getting youth uh, in the outdoors and, and having positive experiences to, to grow our next crop of conservationists, you might say. Um, they are looking for volunteers and interns. Uh, they have openings for ambassadors, business administration, video editing, and social media positions. Please email Kara at Kara at beoutdoorsarizona.org or text her at 602-309-2517. That is it for our announcements. Please stick around and listen to this episode um, about something I love dearly. Um, And I promise if you get out there and uh, start wading in some of these beautiful places or floating or paddling some of these great lakes, chasing trout, uh, you're gonna be a happy person. So listen in, Uh, this is how you get started. All right, with that, take care. Thanks. All right, I'm sitting here with Zach Beard, Native Trout and chub Coordinator with the Arizona Game and Fish Department, and Sam Simmons, Canyon Creek Hatchery Wildlife Specialist and Fish Culturist. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome.
0: All right. Today, we are talking about something very near and dear to me, and that is trout and cold water fisheries here in Arizona. Um, And, you know, if if you're like me and you have people that are not from Arizona, you know, uh, it's usually a surprise to them that we have mountains and trees uh, but to think that we have a trout fishery would be almost, you know, unbelievable to a lot of folks in the country. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that today. We actually have a fantastic fishery. I mean, we're not Montana, we're not Colorado, but we have uh, we have some very special special fish here and a, a special fishery. So before we do that though, let's start with Zach. Zach, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you ended up doing this kind of work, and uh, your interest in, in these cold water fisheries.
1: Sure. So my my background, I'm originally from the Midwest. I'm from Wisconsin. I was born and raised. You know, I, I grew up fishing for bluegill and smallmouth bass, back where they're native. Um, and, and I always wanted to be a fisheries biologist. I had family members that were fisheries biologists. I'm actually third-generation fisheries biologist. And so that's kind of how I got my interest in it, growing up fishing and then knowing it was a career path. Um, I ended up doing my undergraduate work at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Um. Again, there I mostly worked with centrarchids. I I thought I was going to be a centrarchid, a bass, smallmouth. Yeah, I was going to to define the centrarchid family for I, folks. I thought that yeah. So centrarchids, for those of you who don't know, are like bluegills, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, um, mm-hmm. crappie. Um. And so I you know I thought I was going to go go into that. That's what I thought I was really going to do. And then I ended up going to grad school in Idaho, the University of Idaho, and I, I worked with another cold water fish, not a trout. It's a burbot people who might be familiar with burbot, if you're from like poor, poor man's lobster poor man's lobster that's right they're a, a very popular um food fish they're actually a cod the only freshwater cod um but I, I did work on them and then after that i ended up getting a job working on the snake river at a dam a smolt passage facility so i was working with chinook salmon coho salmon steelhead and then also sockeye I worked there for a little while, and then I got a job down here with the Arizona Game and Fish Department working in the, the research branch initially, um, but the big project I was working on there was looking at angler satisfaction as it related to our trout fisheries, our put-and-take trout fisheries, so particularly rainbow trout and Apache trout, but I worked in that position for about two years and then um, had the opportunity to move over to this um, native trout and chub uh, program coordinator position and I. You know, in those two years when I was working over in research, I really got into fly fishing and fishing for our two native trout species in particular here in Arizona, and so that just seemed like a dream job to me. Uh, I was lucky enough to get the position. I've been been working with our native salmonids ever since, um, and then I also work with round tail chub, which are our native um, side printed species or minnow, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're also can be a pretty pretty popular sport fish. People may not realize that about them, but they're pretty aggressive, and they can get pretty big. I know we're not going to talk a whole lot about them today because they're more of a, a warm water fish, but mm-hmm. I, I want to give them a shout-out because I also do a lot of work with them, and I, I like them a lot as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, especially if you're someone who like me who likes to chase species, yeah, the, the chub, just they deserve as much love as anybody else. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam, you're up.
2: Well, I have a similar story to Zach. I'm also from the Midwest, although I'm from Iowa. And I grew up fishing small farm ponds for bass and bluegill. And that was a lot of fun. It's a lot different than out here. Um, I went to the university of Wisconsin Platteville. So in Wisconsin, like Zach, um, I did a lot of trout fishing in the driftless region there. While I was there, I studied biology and had an emphasis in ecology and the freshwater biology aspect really kind of captivated me. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of internships with the Wisconsin DNR where we did a lot of abundant surveys and seeing the diversity of the fish species and habitats in southwestern Wisconsin. Uh, I graduated in 2017. And after that, I had my first position in Oregon, working for a private company, research company, looking at steelhead and their relationship to beaver dams, seeing how the beaver dams influence movement and just spawning habitats. I worked that for six months. And then since that was a seasonal job, I was applying all over the country and I applied for a research technician position here in Arizona. And Zach was actually the one who got me to Arizona. He was my hiring supervisor. And for majority of research, I did a lot of, uh, data collection and lab work looking at insects, um, that are hatchery trout breeding, um, seeing if they take, if they'll start to eat natural prey items once stocked. And then I also did a lot of work. With, um, the Gila trout telemetry project on the East Verde. I was part of that pilot year where we tagged 30 fish and tracked them throughout the East Verde. Mm -hmm. And then in 2019, I had the opportunity to transfer to one of the fish hatcheries, which I'm still there, uh, Canyon Creek fish hatchery. And we stock around 20, 25% of Arizona's waters, primarily in the white mountains. And we raise rainbow trout, arctic trout, and native Gila trout. Nice.
0: Um, Yeah, I got a, just, uh, I was in a meeting just before this, and I got an interesting, uh, what I thought was an interesting quote, that uh, 700,000 pounds of fish are produced and stocked per year in Arizona. Yeah. I, I I mean, I'm not ready to go into that. I want to talk about hatcheries here in a little bit, but uh, I also want to pull that up while I still remembered it. That's
2: impressive. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of fish.
0: All right. So again, you know, like a moment ago, I said people don't think of Arizona as a, as a a cold water fisheries state. Um, and probably throughout this, since I'm a fly fisherman, I think everybody else here is a fly fisherman. Um, when I say fly fishing, I'm, I just mean cold water fishing. I just That's what comes to my mind anyway. Um, and we'll talk about that too. We'll talk about some some methods of, of getting after these guys too. Um, but not only do we have you know, cold water fisheries here, we have one species of trout that is solely native to Arizona and another one native to the Southwest. So Zach, I'll, I'll throw this to you. You want to talk about the you know some of the natural history of these fish? I, I realize you know we've only got an hour and a lot to cover, but a little bit of the natural history, some of the threats these guys are under and the importance of of working to to reestablish um, and, and take care of these native fish populations? Yeah, I can and, do and that. maybe name them because I didn't do that either.
1: Yeah, of course. So our, our two native trout species here in Arizona are Apache trout and Gila trout. So Apache trout are only native to Arizona. They're really, the cool thing about Apache trout is they're, they're basically native to Mount Baldy mm-hmm. and all the streams that flow off of it because they're native to the Little Colorado River headwater, the White River headwaters, and the Black River headwaters, which all originate on Mount Baldy. Yeah. Um, did, did they,
0: I mean, was that like an isolation event and evolution or were they at one point more widespread and got cut off there?
1: So it's, it's hard to know. Um, so both of our native trout species are descended from a a, a long, distant relative of rainbow trout. Um, there was a rainbow trout that was um, was down here several million years ago um, and kind of got isolated up into the Gila um, River Basin, and now we have these two unique species um, that have kind of separated. Particularly, I think it's not – I'm not necessarily an expert on the exact mm-hmm. – um, evolutionary history of the two species um but my understanding is that apache trout themselves got isolated in the salt river and kind of above it whereas the gila trout were free throughout the gila river but they couldn't move up into the salt river because there's a there was a natural waterfall barrier on the salt river i think it's now underwater but at one point it was a natural waterfall barrier um as far as White, like, so the whole being native to the Little Colorado River, which is a totally different, like, drainage than the Gila River, which is what the White River and the Black Rivers are Mm -hmm. tributaries to. Um, it's it wasn't clear exactly how they got there. In fact, at one point, there was thoughts that they possibly had gone through a canal system that used to connect the Black River to the Little Colorado River. Mm Um, But then they found them in other populations where they couldn't have possibly come through that canal. And, and, sorry, there was collections before that canal was built of Apache trout from the Little Colorado River headwaters. So it probably has something more to do with the ancient um, geography and geology of the region, Mm -hmm. which is pretty volcanic. But I am, unfortunately, not the expert to talk about that stuff. I'm sure there are people who are much more knowledgeable about that than I am.
0: Before, before you move on to, to heal a trout, mm-hmm. is there any other state that comes to mind that has their own full species of trout? I mean, I know there's lots of subspecies out there.
1: Y- but y- you know, not their own species. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably several states that have their own subspecies of cutthroat trout, sure. maybe multiple subspecies of cutthroat trout mm-hmm. that only occur in their state. But even then, uh, most of the subspecies of cutthroat are pretty widespread at this yeah. point. And I guess were California historically. and those goldens, too. California does have golden trouts, uh, and that could be uh, their one unique. That's right. maybe the only other state I can think of. Well, just, just the uh, same.
0: I think it's really special that, that we have these Apaches, and then they're solely Arizonas. But mm-hmm. How about Gila trout?
1: So Gila trout, again, um, evolved in the Gila River. Um and they were historically native to a lot a large portion of arizona so they used to be occur in the head headwaters of the Agua Fria river drainage the um, verde river drainage and then also um, tonneau creek drainage um, which is a tributary to the salt river um, and then they also occurred in like the headwaters of the gila river so most of that occurs in new mexico but we also had like the Blue River and the San Francisco River here in Arizona mm-hmm. and tributaries to those, and then there are also some higher elevation tributaries in like the Sky Islands portion of southeastern Arizona where we we think they were native. Yeah, um, that's the one thing about we we have a better idea of where Apache trout were native and better records on them. But for Gila trout, we didn't we didn't really do a very good job of documenting where they were before they were gone.
0: Yeah. Like just for these these what I consider special natives that we have, can you give a quick, quick description? I'm sorry of of what these guys look
1: like. Sure. So Apache trout are typically like an olive yellow color. Um, they'll have pretty big black spots on the body, typically above their their lateral line. Um, one unique characteristic that's pretty common on Apache trout is they'll typically have little black shading in front of their pupil and behind their pupil, so it makes it look like they have a black bar running through the center of their eye. Mm-hmm that's pretty unique um, they typically have little white fin tips on most of their fins like their dorsal fin and their pelvic and anal fins um, um, sometimes they'll have little green cutthroat marks underneath that's not a, they don't always have that but it's it's something I'll see quite a bit and people probably don't notice a lot. Um, but they'll have little green cutthroat marks, just like you would see on a cutthroat trout, except they're not red. Yeah.
0: Well, um, they are stunning fish. I, I love the the white tip fins. Mm-hmm. They're just beautiful.
1: Yep. And then Gila trout are more of a like a burnt orange, typically. Um, they have a lot of spots, but they're very small and profuse. Mm-hmm. Um, they typically don't have that eye bar. Um, that's not 100%, but almost always don't have it. Um, they'll typically have white fin tips again, just like Apache trout. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate description pretty of them. I don't know how else to describe yeah. them. No, just,
0: well, what spurred the thought is so, some of those gilas, I'm assuming, probably older fish. I know Sam has posted some pictures of some beautiful. I mean, they look like a bar of gold. Pretty I much. Mean, just gorgeous. Alright, um, so in fly fishing, trout fishing circles, uh, terms that you, you're going to hear thrown around a lot are native trout, which we've been talking about. I think it's pretty clear what we're talking about when we talk about native now. Uh, but we also talk about wild trout versus stalkers. Can you give me some definitions either, you guys, on, on, on what those terms mean when people are talking about them?
1: Sure, and I'll, I'll even expand that to three, three terms. So we've got native trout, wild trout, and then stocked trout. And I think a lot of people confuse native trout and wild trout all the time. So when we're talking about native trout, we mean f- trout that are actually native evolved in that drainage in those watersheds mm-hmm. where they're bef- really the definition is we're present before Europeans arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, and then wild trout are populations that, of a species of trout that you know they weren't there prior to europeans they were brought over by europeans but they're now self-sustaining like we're not stocking fish in there they're they're sustaining their population on their own they're reproducing naturally within that stream and then stock trout are are just fish that we literally sam raised them and then stocked them out that's (laughs) yep that's what we're talking about um all
0: right sam i I think because people would be surprised i handed you that list i know you don't need that list (laughs) uh but just in case Um, Would you go through the different species that we have available to anglers here in Arizona? I think people would be surprised at what what we got here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have eight species of Salmonids. Uh, The rainbow trout is the most cultured uh, species that we have. They're at every hatchery. And they're very easy to raise. Um, And we stock most of our waters with our catchable-sized trout. Um, We also have brown trout here in Arizona. Most of them at this point in the streams are wild. Mm-hmm. Like Zach was saying, they were they were stocked and then um, had natural reproduction happening.
0: Are, are we currently producing any brown trout at our hatcheries?
2: Um, I believe Page Springs has a small production cycle of brown trout and those are mostly stocked into closed systems. So okay. lakes that have no inflow or outflow. Mm-hmm for recreational opportunity
0: and it, I'll throw in a, a point. The brown trout are not even native to North America. Uh, Correct. Yeah. They're an old world fish. Uh, I mean, we're, we're lucky to have them. They're a lot of fun. They grow big and they're beautiful and a lot of fun on a fly rod or any rod, but, but they are not from here at all.
2: Uh, we also have brook trout. Um, there's a few wild populations that we have in Arizona. Um, but the stocked ones come from tono Creek hatchery mm-hmm. and they'll, stock in the White Mountain areas around Big Lake and some of the tanks around Flagstaff and Williams. Uh, We also have cutthroat trout. Uh, Those are actually coming from out of state. So Mm -hmm. none of the hatcheries in Arizona raise cutthroat trout. Uh, We get those from Colorado or Wyoming or wherever they're available.
0: And uh, I'll I'll add again, um, cutthroats are native throughout Western United States. Um, even into the southwest in New Mexico. Um, And in contrast, uh, the brook trout you're talking about is technically a char. Um, But, uh, you know, for all practical purposes, it is a trout to the angler. And uh, it is native to the eastern United States throughout the Appalachians and up into Canada.
2: Absolutely. Uh, We also have tiger trout, um, which is a cross between a brown trout and a brook trout. And those are stocked into some of our rim lakes and white mountain lakes. And they're a very unique mm-hmm. species. Um, a lot of a lot of anglers like them. Uh, we also have the Arctic grayling, which, at Canyon Creek, that's what we get every year. We get a shipment of maybe ten thousand eggs, and that's also another unique species that we're raising and stocking into. Right. And any idea, like how how, what's the most southern
0: natural occurring population of grayling? I mean, it's not a fish you expect to find in Arizona, that's for sure.
2: No, absolutely not. Um, I believe they're still native to um, areas of Montana. Oh,
0: yeah? There uh,
1: there used to be some naturally occurring populations in Yellowstone, I believe, in Wyoming. Oh, I don't um, know. Yeah. And those might have been the farthest south, but I'm not a grilling expert.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, <laughs> when, when I learned that we had... When I moved out here, it's been 10, 10 plus years now, but when I learned that we had grayling opportunities in Arizona. I couldn't hardly believe it. That's crazy.
2: Yeah, it's it's super unique. And then we also have the Gila trout, like Zach was talking about, um, one of our two native species. From a hatchery standpoint, at Canyon Creek, we raise Gila trout mm-hmm. and stock them recreationally so people can go out and catch and release or catch and keep their legal limit. Uh, we've been doing that for... A few years now
0: yeah uh, uh, I keep throwing in my two cents here forgive me um, I, uh, I, I, I participated in a cooking competition um, up in Montana for backcountry hunters and anglers and I did Gila trout uh, tostadas um, and it was it was a tough sell for some folks to to convince them that these were legally obtained and that I could have them and cook them because I mean most most places view those as as endangered species and I guess are they on the endangered species list still are they threatened
1: they're listed they're listed as threatened under the endangered species act so they're they're um not all they're not endangered but Mm -hmm. still listed still listed species
0: well it's certainly a unique opportunity to get to get to harvest that fish and, and consume it um but yeah go ahead Sam
2: And our last species that we have, um, is the Apache trout. And uh, once again, from a hatchery standpoint, we get those eggs from the white mountain Apache. And once we get those eggs, or I guess the eggs come from the white mountains and then they're brought to Tano hatchery where they're grown to around five inches and then they get transferred to silver Creek hatchery.
0: Awesome. So to, to summarize, we have native wild fish. And these are Apache and Gila trout that are occurring and reproducing in streams that they historically have always been in. Then we have native uh cultured Gilas and Apaches. Um and is there anywhere that that people can catch and consume Apaches? I'm assuming no. Or yes. Um
2: you can when they do stock Silver Creek uh-huh. like this time of year, okay. if they were to put Apaches in, you could keep your limit.
1: Yep. There's Silver Creek, and then there's also the West Fork LCR, Little Colorado mm-hmm. River, Sheep's Crossing, and also in Greer they'll stock those. Um, Acre Lake gets stocked, but that's catch and release only, so yep. I shouldn't have said that one. Yep. But <laughs> but they do stock Apache Trout there. Um, oh, East Fork of the Black River they stock. We okay. stock Apache Trout. I keep saying they, but our the S- department just
0: fall under general trout regs. Are they spe- species specific bag limits?
1: So um, East Fork of the Black River is. um Statewide regs. Mm -hmm. Um, So is the West Fork LCR. I believe Silver Creek is also statewide regs, but um, I'm sure there are people who might know those regs better off the top of their heads.
2: Gotcha. Lee Valley you can keep, I think, two. Oh, yeah. You can, and that's
1: occasionally stocked with Apache trout. And then there are several other lakes that are available for us to stock them in, and they get Apache trout occasionally when we have enough Mm -hmm. to stock those other lakes. but.
0: Okay. So, all right, then outside of having both cultured native fish and wild populations of native fish, um, we have wild populations of non-native fish. So we have small stream rainbows, small stream browns, um, and, and, you know, lakes with reproducing populations as well. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's across the board. Um, We got a ton of opportunity with a ton of cool species. So before we we move on to, you know, angling for all these, all these awesome fish, uh, Zach, can you, can you talk about some of the threats these guys face and then some of the way you try to mitigate and manage them?
1: Sure. So the, the biggest threat right now, and really has been for quite some time to both of our native trout species is, is rainbow trout or or cut cutthroat, but we just don't have that many cutthroat trout. So it's Mm -hmm. really rainbow trout. Um, and the reason they're a big threat to the two species is they readily hybridize with them. Like I mentioned earlier, they're close descendants of rainbow trout. They're not that far diverged from them, and they can readily hybridize. Yeah. And so once they hybridize, um, they're no longer considered Apache or Gila trout. And they, and those don't count towards recovery of the species those populations no longer count towards our, our recovery efforts for getting them delisted from the Endangered Species Act because we'd all like to see these fish recover to the point where they can be removed because both are listed as threatened right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, my job is really getting them to the point where we don't need them to be listed anymore A- and continue after that to continue yeah. to grow them so that they do well and flourish on the landscape long after I'm gone or long over after all of us are gone because they're really unique species and I would hate to ever see them disappear from this earth
0: yeah no kidding um and what about forest fires and climate impacts
1: those are also the next biggest threats i mean i would say um wildfire really is one of the biggest issues we're dealing with all the time i i was telling you just before this that there's a there i guess i was talking to sam actually just before this and was telling him there's a there's a wildfire right now by one of our Gila trout populations it's it's maybe two miles away or something like that. Luckily at the moment, it seems like it's not going to go into the watershed, but it's, it's, it's so close. And, yeah, yeah, and fire you, you just, you early. just, you just never know which way the wind's mm-hmm. going to take that fire. And so it's, it's nerve wracking and it, it just seems like it's a constant battle with fires. We've lost so many populations, yep. to fires and we go out there and we start, we just have to start over again. And yeah. that's the way it goes. But, um, and and so, our native trout did evolve with like the historic fire regime that was here, and mm-hmm. and that's um, you know they're they're adapted to that. But the problem is, is the the natural fire regime has changed so much over the last two hundred years. We didn't much use more intense now. Much more intense, much larger burns. Um, These just aren't the kind of burns that we they used to get historically. And so it's, and there and there are a lot of reasons for that. But um, that change is really really hindering the ability of trout to survive the impacts of those fires um and so and then climate change itself which is kind of a factor it's kind of affecting the increase in wildfire and the severity of them but it's also there's other ways it's going to do that but the southwest is predicted to probably get a little bit drier and hotter Mm -hmm. and if there's one thing that cold water species don't like it's (laughs) hot dry 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 and hot so you know it's not it's not not a great thing for them you know we've done some some preliminary climate modeling for both species and it you know particularly for apache trout just because of where they're isolated to at this point it doesn't seem like temperature is going to be a gigantic concern for them Mm -hmm. going forward in the future but drought definitely is Um, their habitats are just drying up we're just not getting enough rain and snow (laughs) like we used to So
0: these wild native populations of fish are obviously something special, uh, something, something to be cared for. Oh yeah. What, what, how do I say this? What are you looking for when you're opening up fishing opportunities for these? And these are catch and release barbless hook, single hook type opportunities. But what, what tells you that a population is hardy enough to sustain some recreation?
1: Sure. Yeah. So we, um, you know, typically when we're going to open up one of our recovery streams is what we we call them. Those are typically populations where our our primary goal there is to have a self-sustaining population and the secondary goal is to have recreational opportunity. Um, those there's a couple criteria so we're going to be looking for a population estimate of at least around 500 adults. Typically. Um, we're also going to be looking for them to be pretty well distributed throughout the stream Mm -hmm. itself throughout all the habitats and then we're going to also look to see natural reproduction for the most part now um these are not hard and fast rules that we exclusively follow to Mm -hmm. open these streams to angling Um, but they are rules that we've used in the past and um it's it's been difficult because sometimes we've had some problems with those criteria can be difficult to meet at times Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of science and examples from other places in the West where you can you can show that you know native trout recovery and angling can go hand in hand, and you can provide a fishery while a population is still establishing, and it doesn't it isn't detrimental to the mm-hmm. establishment of that population. There's plenty of examples for it, and so we're trying to be better about that. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, I think uh, allowing uh the public responsible access to to a resource like that only Mm. builds uh connections and and folks that care and want to protect them so i think it's a smart way to go all right um let's move on back to sam and i'm I'm gonna call sam out here um sam is largely known as probably the nicest guy in the arizona fly fishing community (laughs) so congratulations for that sam well thank you it's a compliment um Sam, can we talk about um, our hatchery program? And I, I've got several questions here. And I'll maybe try to clump them all together and just let you go. Um, I'm curious about, you know, the urban urban fishing programs. I'm curious about, you know, ha- how these these places operate. And I'm probably putting way too much on your lap here. Uh, how they operate, how long it takes to grow a, a, a catchable size fish, and and what determines where where you put them.
2: Right on. So. Um, I'll talk about Canyon Creek Hatchery, Mm -hmm. um, where I'm working, but typically we get the, the fish as eggs, our rainbows come from out of state. And once we get them in eggs, we'll hatch them in our jars and our production cycle. We're growing these fish to around a 13 and a half, 14 inch average, Mm -hmm. which takes a, which takes two years. And then that's when we'll stock them out. And deciding the number of fish that's decided by a regional fisheries biologist. Um, so for us, we primarily stock region one and they're the ones that decide the numbers of fish and see if we can fulfill those requests. And I believe those numbers are based off, um, angler use and the size of lake. Mm -hmm. Uh, for example. Woods Canyon and Willow Springs, those are some of the most heavily stocked lakes in Arizona, and we dump thousands in at a time. But those are also the busiest lakes right. that we have. Um, the urban fishing program, I'm i am not really sure.
0: Well, you were putting in the uh, incentive uh, albinos, weren't you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. I, I went chasing those and had a blast with it.
2: Yeah, those were very interesting. Those are interesting to raise. But, yeah, we just had uh a couple thousand of those, and just to provide a unique angling opportunity, we stock some of the community fishing waters with maybe a hundred in each pond- mm-hmm. or ponds dotted throughout the the valley some in the east valley and west valley yeah.
0: well and i, I got a, a question for for both of you um or whoever, whoever can maybe give me some insight on this, and it's something I've been curious about for a while and and that's the 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 cultured Gila trout um program. And I would imagine, and I'm totally guessing this, but 10 years ago, was was that a thing that looked anything like it does today? Or was it largely rainbow trout? And is there a movement to produce more native fish and kind of get away from some of those rainbows?
1: Yeah, I can speak to that. So 10 years ago, no, there wasn't the kind of Gila trout production that there is today. That's a, a very new thing that we've been working towards for a long time. Um, but you know, 10 years ago, there was really, we were really still just trying to figure out Gila trout culture and it was primarily for conservation purposes. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it was not to provide angling opportunities. It yeah. was to make sure these fish don't go extinct. Um, but you know, we've, we've gotten pretty good at it. I, I, more national fish hatchery over in New Mexico is really the ones who have spearheaded and done all of this culture work. And that's, they're currently... Well, they, they used to be the only broodstock, and they still are for recovery purposes. Um, but now um, we've been getting fish for them for the last couple of years. I know New Mexico has also been doing that. And, you know, Sam has been a part of the program at Canyon Creek where they've actually started to develop their own broodstock Now that's going to be used to provide angling opportunities for these fish. And it's, it's really an awesome program. And, you know, long-term we're really hoping to try to be able to produce a lot of Gila trout so that we can replace a lot of these rainbow trout stockings with, gila trout awesome um we it yeah it'd just be an awesome goal for for this program i I
0: think it's i think it's fantastic and i think it's very forward thinking um and i'm excited about it and yeah these gila trout that sam's raising up they're they're not i mean they're slabs they're they're good fish
2: they're they're really good fish yeah (laughs) i mean very close to state records wow
0: yeah i think don't you have a world record swimming around in one of your pools
2: yeah it was around i think 6.81 pounds jeez all right 25 inches wow that's quite a heel of trout
0: um all right so let's let's move on and talk about how to catch some of these fish um and i'm gonna throw it out there and full disclosure everybody in this room's a fly fisherman no one in this room is snooty for those of those of you folks that that, that paints a picture of some tweed jacket fella smoking
2: a pipe <laughs> on a riverbank
0: <laughs> um with although sam does carry a creel sometimes so
2: i like my creel. Um. it's good for uh the fly boxes yeah um
0: but uh yeah no the, the truth is fly fishing is just fun it's so much fun i mean catching a fish on anything is fun but doing it on a fly rod in my opinion is the funnest funnest damn thing in the world um i love it dearly spend way too much money on it and, and way too many hours pursuing it um but but it is a fantastic fantastic endeavor um, so let's talk about that. Um, you know, you can, you, can, you can fly fish for these fish. Um, you, can, you can chunk bait at them. You can catch them with spinning gear. Um, but there are different regulations for different bodies of water. So, and then please catch me and correct me if I make any mistakes here, gentlemen. But, you know, most of our wild native populations, they are going to be fly or single barbless hook only that doesn't mean you can't use spinning equipment but you have to have that single barbless hook and you got to return those fish to the water immediately um, then we have other populations like when the, the water quality is good enough in the uh, verde East verde correct these verde yeah, yeah. Um, well they'll stock Gila's in there and those fish are, are that's basically a put and take fishery you catch those fish you can let them go if you like that's great or you can take them home you can catch them on whatever you want
2: mm
0: mm-hmm. um, So, I don't know, where where do I go with this? Uh, I guess I would say, uh, if you have not tried uh, chasing trout with a fly rod, you owe it to yourself to give it a shot. I mean, it can be ungodly expensive, um, and I'll probably eventually do a podcast on fly fishing, like Fly Fishing 101, so I don't want to get too deep into it here. Um, But man, I'm telling you, it's it's a blast. Um, You can start cheap, get it figured out. Um, and, and I don't think you'll ever go back. Um, and for the record, my second favorite kind of fishing is chunk and bait for catfish around a campfire, the cooler, a beer. So um, that's great, too. But but fly fishing is fantastic. I think both of these guys would would back me on that.
1: Yeah, just to just to add, the fly fishing is certainly an expensive hobby or can be. But you mm-hmm. do not need expensive fly gear to catch fish. You do mm-hmm. not. You can catch it with a very cheap fly rod from Walmart. Mm-hmm. And a cheap, and a couple cheap flies. And I'm sure some people aren't going to like that. I said that, but it's true. Oh no, it's absolutely (laughs) true. Yeah,
0: no, no. Sometimes fly fishermen take themselves a little too seriously. Um, I, I will say that my, my first fly fishing experience and probably the same experience I had for years of my childhood was a broken fiberglass, red fiberglass spinning rod with a yard sale fly reel that was missing the handle. It was probably six foot, but that's how I fished for years when I was a kid. And I had a ball doing it. And I remember tying flies out of like just yarn and bits of carpet I would pull out of the rug
2: of my mom's house.
0: Um, And I caught fish. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not as mysterious as a lot of us like to make it out to be.
2: Yeah, I agree with Zach. I mean, when I first got out here or got into fly fishing, I just had the basic Cabela's combo, Mm -hmm. you know, get your rod reel and line all in one. And yeah, I was able to do everything I needed. Right. with yeah. just that simple setup. All right.
0: Um, so we've already kind of touched on this, but um, I wanted to talk a bit about, you know, when, when it's appropriate to to keep a few fish, if that's what you want to do, and, and when it's appropriate to release those fish. Um, and maybe some of, you know, handling techniques. Uh, either of you guys jump on that if you like.
1: Sure. I, I can speak a little bit to when it's appropriate to keep fish and when it's not. And, and honestly, the answer is, you should always let them go. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, the, the answer is really what does the regulation say? Is it is it legal there to keep fish? If it is, then it's perfectly okay to do it if you want to. There's no there's nothing wrong. You shouldn't let somebody else shame you because you kept a fish there. If the regulations say you can keep a fish there, it is perfectly okay to do. Mm-hmm. Us as fish managers, we put those regulations on there because we expect a few people to take fish. And, we, and quite frankly, we want people mm-hmm. to take some of those fish home. I know, I'm, I'm just going to use the East as an example. I know some, some people get real upset when they see people taking home some Gila trout. But I'm telling you right now, we're putting those fish there for people to take them right. home. Um, that, that's why they're being stalked there. The, the goal there is not to establish a wild population. That's mm-hmm. not what we're trying to do. We have many other streams in the state where we are trying to do that. But those fish are not meant for that. They're meant for recreational opportunities for people to enjoy. Awesome. And, and, and and that's just, uh, that's my opinion on it. If you want to keep the fish and it's legal to do so, you should do it.
0: Right. Well, to, to give a stark example, if I, if I were to catch a 20-inch wild brown trout in a small stream in a remote area, that fish is immediately going back in that stream because I want it there. Not because there's anything wrong with keeping it if you can do that legally because I want it there. But every year I'll, I'll take a few stalkers home for the smoker um, and I enjoy them. So, yeah, I agree. Nothing wrong with that. So, how about when we are releasing a fish? You know, what are some good, uh, good, uh, a good methodology for making sure that fish gets back in there and stays alive?
1: Yeah, I, um, for, for me, it's, I think people get a little dramatic on the fish handling at times, but that doesn't mean it's not best practice to, you know, wet your hands before you touch the fish, mm-hmm. keep it out of the water for as little time as possible. Obviously, that stuff is all common sense, right? Fish can't breathe. If you hold it out of the water, <laughs> they can't breathe there. So if you hold it out of the water for a long time, uh-huh. it's it's not great for it. Yep. Now, if you hold it out for a little bit to get a quick picture and you wet your hands, it's fine. The fish mm-hmm. is going to be okay. And if you accidentally forgot to wet your hand, it's not the end of the world. The fish is probably going to be fine. If the fish got foul hooked a little bit or something, take the fish out and still put it back. I've seen all these stories of, oh, well, it's certainly dead. That's not true. Mm-hmm. The fish has a much better chance of surviving if you put it back because if you take it home, it's 100% chance of mortality. <laughs> so um, it, it, I think people, obviously, you want to you wanna handle them properly. You want to keep them wet if you can. Mm-hmm. You want to minimize air exposure times. Um, you want to be as careful with them as possible. You want to make sure you don't do too much damage with the hook. That's why a lot of people use barbless hooks. Um, but I think it gets a little overblown. I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. As to how sensitive trout are. So to to put it in stark contrast, uh, one, I would recommend a net. A net makes landing a fish so much easier. You can keep it in the water while you're taking that hook out. It's contained. Um, but what you don't want to do is hook a fish and just start walking backwards. And if if this isn't a catch and release situation, if you want to keep that fish, you do whatever you want with it. But you don't want to walk back, drag that fish up on the shore, let it flop around for a little while while you dig out your camera and your pliers and and everything else. Um and then by the time you finally get that fish unhooked, he's covered in debris and beat to heck and, and you throw him back in the water and you wonder why he's like sitting on his side <laughs> for a few minutes. That's how you don't wanna do it. Um All right, so uh let's let's talk about and this this is something that you kind of gotta be careful with, right? Because you know, being in, it's maybe not Zach cause it's, it's Zach's job to provide opportunity to fishermen. But for folks like Sam and I, we don't really want to share all these good spots, you know? So there, there are spots that are certainly well known. Um, and, and if you asked me, uh, point blank, you know, Hey, where to go? I'd give them to you in a second, but then there's other spots that, you know, they're special. They're harder to get to, uh, the fish are wild. Um, and you know, for my personal opinion which is very selfish I think you ought to work for that stuff you know figure it out I'll give you hints but so let, let's talk about where do people go where do people go to take advantage of these these cold water fish
2: I think um well I would have to agree with you I'm a little bit selfish on that aspect I don't really tag locations at all um but there are some great resources out there uh, that anglers can look at to kind of get a general idea of where they want to fish um, one of those resources is the Arizona Trout Challenge Interactive Map. Mm-hmm. That when I first started fly fishing in Arizona, that's immediately what I looked at. Yeah. Um, and that helped out a lot. Yeah.
0: There's a, there's also some good books out there, too. I don't have any of the titles and authors in my head right now, but a quick Amazon search or, or Google search will get you going in the right direction. Um, now, you know, I will also add to that that Arizona's fisheries are – not the most stable fisheries in the world so some of them blink on and off Um, and some of those uh, guidebooks you know they might be a little dated Uh, and you might find yourself wasting a day hiking into a creek that's not even there anymore but uh, but there's plenty of resources out there if you want to do your homework and and find these special places with these you know big 20-inch browns and little creeks you know they're there and you can find them you just got to work and get to know people you know get involved with Trout Unlimited Uh, do some do some volunteer backpacking of trout eggs into high mountain streams with Zach um, that way you get to know folks and once you get to know folks the information really does seem to seem to flow but but for folks that are just wanting to get started where are some good good go-to places for them
2: um, I would say for for example wild brown trout um, Canyon Creek is a very
0: that, that's one I want to gave away Sam oh. <laughs>
2: Everyone knows about Canyon Creek. <laughs> I know. Um, that That's a good location yeah. if someone wants to practice catch and release in the lower section, which yeah. that, that is the regulation there. Um, another one would be like the East Verde. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, are, are there any fish going into the East Verde this year?
2: Um, last time I talked to the tonneau guys, they were going to stock rainbows okay. in the East Verde. Um, but a lot of our put and take fisheries are great places to start Mm -hmm. and learn how to fly fish. Yeah. Um, The upper part of Canyon Creek, um, upper Tano, just great places that will have fish weekly where people can go out and catch them. Yeah.
0: And uh, I'll say that, uh, you know, the last 10 years that I spent down in the Valley, my little boy and I would certainly take advantage of urban ponds in the wintertime. You know, most of, most of our parks have, have ponds that, that are stocked with trout throughout the winter months provide a lot of fun there's certainly nothing wrong with keeping those fish because they're they're not getting out of this alive one way or the other so all right let's uh let's finish this up with um something that i think is very special um and that's the arizona trout challenge um and, and to begin i'll say that there's a lot of states um that are getting on board with this uh, all over our country um and basically it's it's different challenges where you go out and you catch um, X number of species are are the same species from X number of spots. Um, and when you do, you'll get, um, you know, some swag, you'll you'll get a a cool medallion, a coin, and you can collect these. Um, I think Sam is actually leaving here within the next 30 minutes or so to go chase the New Mexico trout challenge. Um, I did one back in Missouri this year and Arizona offers two that I've got to, got to partake in. And it's just fun. I mean, it's, it's more fun and it's more exciting to get that little coin and that diploma than, than it should be for a grown man. But Sam, <laughs> you want to talk about the Arizona Trout Challenges? Or right, Sam, Zach, you want to take that? That's yours. Yeah, I,
1: I, <laughs> I can take that. Those are my – I run those programs, and they are probably one of the funnest parts of my job. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar, there's actually two challenges. There's the Arizona Wild Trout Challenge, which catches challenges you to catch – Uh, All five of the species that currently have wild populations, so those are Apache trout, Gila trout, brook trout, brown trout, and rainbow trout. And then uh, the regular Arizona trout challenge, um, challenges as you catch at least six of the eight total trout species that we have here in the state. And by trout, we're kind of a little loose with that definition. We really just mean anything in the family Salmonidae Mm -hmm. because graylings show up in there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but so let's see if I can name all eight off the top of my head. So Apache trout, Gila trout, Brook trout, Brown trout, Cutthroat trout, Arctic grayling, Tiger trout, and which one am I missing? Is it cutthroat. Rainbow. 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 Oh. Wow. <laughs> the wow. Most I'm missing common. the most common one. Yeah. Rainbow trout. um So those those are your six out of eight. Um, and so the really neat part about that is you, it's really simple. We have a website. You can go to that website and it'll explain all the rules for the challenge, but the, the rules are generally pretty simple. Fish have to be caught legally in Arizona. You need to take a photo of that fish so that I can see that you actually did catch what you said you caught. Um, and this, there's a simple application that you fill out and you send to our Arizona trout challenge email. It's AZ trout challenge at azgfd.gov. Um, you send that application to me, I'll review it, and then I'll tell you either, yep, yeah, it's good, or no, you, this is why it's wrong, or I'm declining your application, because you, so you the the most common reason is misidentification of species, mm-hmm. that happens a lot. Um, And so, once you complete one of the two challenges, what you'll get from me is a, a very nice certificate that you can frame, it's printed on very nice, um, fancy paper, um, and then you'll also get an Arizona Trout Challenge hoodie. Um, those are quite popular with a lot of people. I know that. Well, um, what
0: happens if you're like a little huskier than you, you want to admit and you ordered this, this size, a hoodie that was just too small for you. So you never get to wear it. Is there a redeemable uh, uh, situation? there? I,
1: I don't know if they want your sweatshirt back. Cause it's probably been worn a bunch <laughs> of times, but, um, yeah, just talk to me and we can, we can get you a new one. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah, I've had a couple people of like, they like something, they lost their, their hoodie or something. Mm-hmm. I'm i it's usually not a big deal to send you another one. Gotcha. Um, Now, don't just be like telling me you lost your hoodie so you can get like four for your best friends and families because I'll I'll eventually... They got to earn that, man. I'll I'll eventually catch on to what you're doing. If you email me like five times in the same month saying you lost your Trout Challenge sweatshirt, we'll kind of figure out what's going on there. But... Um, so you, you get the Trout Challenge sweatshirt for the first challenge. Now, if you complete both the wild and the regular one, it doesn't matter which one you complete first. Um, you'll just get if you just do one, you'll get mm. the hoodie. It doesn't matter which one it is. Um, but then if you complete both of them, um, you'll get another certificate for your second one. But then you'll also get our collectible coin, uh, which are really a really cool addition, and they. The reason we added the coin was one to try to increase participation and in people doing both of the challenges. Because a lot of times we'd have people just do one. And in particular, it was the wild challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, people would just do that and then stop. They wouldn't do the other one. And I really wanted to get them to do both because yeah. it's oh, it's t- a challenge. Takes you they're to both challenges. The they're fun. Um, and so I added that coin as kind of an incentive. But also, a lot of the other Western states have coins for their trout challenges and i know some people go around collecting those coins from the various mm-hmm. states and so now arizona is part of that where you can collect one of those really cool coins and i i really like our coin it was developed in-house by our our artist here his name's pierre he's uh, does an amazing job um wow. I, I really like the design on it and um They're 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 really cool, and I highly recommend you to go out and complete both challenges and get your coin. I can't. Yeah, mine's
0: displayed proudly in my living room. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's uh, I I am in love with these things. Um, Unfortunately, you know, back in my freewheeling days uh, before family and kids, um, and I I had the time and money to travel extensively. uh, These came after that. So I still have high hopes and ambitions of chasing these coins all over the West. Um, but it's a little harder these days, and it's taking me a little longer. But, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. It's so much fun. Um, yeah. And, I mean, when, when you're chasing species, it takes you to places that otherwise you would have never visited. Beautiful places. Um, it's just so much fun. And uh, to build on it, there's a Western native trout challenge. And there's three levels of that. Not to get into too many too much detail there, but and that takes you from Arizona all the way up to Alaska, chasing numerous species. Um, So that's that's the big prize uh, someday maybe.
1: Yeah, and you know just to to add on to that, one of the biggest questions I get about the trout challenges is how long can I take to complete it? And the answer is as long as you need. Yeah, it's okay if it takes you several years or a lifetime, as long as you do it. This is how i view it doesn't awesome. matter
0: well you guys uh you want to tell folks you know if they have questions how they can get a hold of if you want to be gotten a hold of it's your it's your job zach you got it
1: <laughs> yeah no i so the the be, i mean so if you have a trout challenge specific question the best way to get a hold of me is that az trout challenge at azgfd.gov mm-hmm. email address
0: um and what if folks want to volunteer and help out with some
1: projects. So, if they want to volunteer, they should contact me directly at my work email, which is uh, z and then beard, just like you would spell facial hair beard um, at azgfd.gov. Um, you can send an email directly to me, and then I have a volunteer list that I keep. And then we have a new volunteer um, online registration system. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've just started using for the first time this past year with events, and I'm going to really use it a lot more. But basically, I'm just going to put the events on that website, and yeah. people can pay attention and sign up as soon as I go on there. Awesome. Do those come out on social media at all? You know, I don't think so, but I think um, I think you get an email if you're a registered volunteer about like a new opportunity. I could be mm-hmm. wrong on that, though, too. I'm, I'm not an expert on that volunteer system. Sure.
0: All right, Sam, um, I, I'm, I'm going to throw out there to touch on, because Sam does a really good job, and I don't see it coming out of a lot of other hatcheries. I'm not saying they don't do it, but Sam will post a picture while he's dumping fish into said reservoir, giving you a, a head start of uh, uh, ahead of everybody else if you're paying attention and following Sam. So, Sam, where do folks find you?
2: Um, so if you have any questions about the hatchery operations or the different stockings we're doing recre- <clears throat> Excuse me, recreationally, you can contact me at sgsimmons at azgfd.gov. and you're more than wel- welcome to maybe help me out on a creek stocking. It's a lot of fun running buckets and stocking fish out that way. So yes. that's, that's how to reach me. Plus,
0: you'll you'll have the the goods on where the big ones go.
2: Exactly, because you're stocking. But that's can... why that's
0: why you're so successful, isn't it, Sam? Yeah. That's the, that's I mean the the, the East there, Verde. Huh?
2: I knew where all those <laughs> fish were.
0: Alright, uh, fellas, thank you so much. Um, it's been fun, um, and, I, and I hope I hope people found this useful. I, I'm sure they did. Alright, thanks guys. And thanks for having us. Right. Good luck thank in you. New Mexico, Sam.
2: Oh, thanks. Right. It'll be fun.
0: See ya. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Zach and Sam. They are great guys, and I certainly enjoy talking with them. And hell, I even, I even like fishing with them better. But they're out there working working hard for our recreational opportunities, our habitat, and our wildlife. So we owe them a debt of gratitude for that. Um, and also, you know, do them the favor of getting out there and utilizing utilizing these places and these these species they're working so hard for, because that's why they do it. And don't forget, you can reach me at podcast at azwildlife.org uh, anytime you like with any suggestions, any comments, any questions. Um, I'm I'm happy to hear from all of you. So with that, uh, we got lots of great episodes coming up. So stay tuned every two weeks. That's every other Monday. And uh, yeah, we'll be catching up soon with some some more interesting talks. Thanks so much. Take care.